Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 87. So if you were in Minneapolis this last weekend and came to my show at the Varsity Theater, I thank you. Oh my God, that show was so much fun. Uh, I met a ton of cool nerds afterwards. Still got to get people to start dressing up for these shows. Still got I saw a couple Tom Baker scarves, uh, but that was really about it. So start dressing up for my shows, which, by the way, are coming up on the Chaotic Good Comedy Tour. Brooklyn, May 20th. Second show added at the Littlefield, 10 p.m. Seattle, June 4th. Detroit, June 10th. Dallas, June 11th. Also, Nerd Melt shows at Meltdown in L.A., Nerdist Theater. Matt Myra's Day Off. Sundays, the open mic that Matt Myra hosts with Paul Sebus. Sign-ups at 7.30, shows at 8. May 12th, Rove McManus and Axis of Awesome for Aussie Night. Go to Nerdist.com for info and ticket links for all of those shows. And big announcement, July 23rd, Nerdist Podcast Live at San Diego Comic-Con. Hashtag SDCC. Yes, we're going to be doing a show in the evening, July 23rd at 4th and B. Tickets will be available soon. Uh, guest TBD, but there will be an awesome guest, and Matt Jones and I will be there, so please uh, get ready to come to that. Also, the 2011 limited edition Nerdist shirts are here. Pre-orders until May 23rd. They ship May 31st, also at Nerdist.com. Our returning sponsor this week is Carbonite.com. All right, so I'm sure you've heard the dreaded click from your spinning hard drive plate. Sooner or later, our computers will fail us. I've been there. I have screamed many a time on my computer and wanted to put my fist through it. But do not rely on your hardware alone. So with Carbonite, your files are automatically backed up whenever you're connected to the internet. Plus, you will get anytime, anywhere access to your files with a smartphone and iPad app. Unlimited backups, only 59 bucks a year. That is the best insurance you will ever pay. Hardware is replaceable, nerds, but your work is not. So let Carbonite take care of that for you. Start your 15-day trial today at Carbonite.com. And if you use the offer code NERDIST, you will get two free months if you decide to buy Carbonite. We thank them for their continued sponsorship. And now, the Nerdist Podcast number 87 with Mr. Ed Helms. Now entering Nerdist.com. Did your mic, your mic just farted? I don't making, hear it. It's making fart sounds. I Ed, why is, your mic, why is your mic making fart sounds? 
spiral. <laughs> that's so that's so bizarre. Are you are you having are you having mic queefs? Mic queefs? <laughs> a little bit of mic queefs. It's Ed a... Helms, we're recording. This is oh. it. This is how it starts. There's no <laughs> setup really. There's no big uh, and uh, our next guest. Who I know? We don't do any of that. Uh, we just start. We just start blabbing. We uh, stumble into a room. Mm-hmm. Ladies and, and nerds and gentlemen and people and geeks, we are in a severe crisis here. Um, uh, we are desperately trying to find an app that will remotely control your iPad. Well, let's be clear. It, it needs. It should be. Like, what would they app? I don't know if it's an app or a device. It may be a separate thing. Something you connect to it? Yeah, something to remotely control and not not through like a a, a wire connection, but but like a like maybe if you could if you could ghost your iPad from your iPhone, perhaps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that things that you're doing on your iPhone, someone else holding your iPad is looking at. Seems like you should be able to do that. I would think so. So let's have a little backstory. Um, Ed uh, Ed Helms does an amazing show at Largo. It's it's really a weekend, the L.A. Bluegrass situation. Well, uh, yeah, the the there's sort of two separate things that get joined up on this weekend. There's the uh, I, I I do a show periodically at Largo called the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour, which is which you've been a part of yes. before, Mister Hardwick. I did. I sang a rock bluegrass version of. Um, uh, the Titanic theme. My heart will go My on. My heart will yes, go on. Exactly. Yes. With you playing, I don't know if a lot of people know this about you. You're a phenomenal banjo player. Well, uh, that's a liberal interpretation of the word phenomenal, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I do. I do play, and uh, that was really fun. It really was we, fun. Yeah, we. We. I might have a recording of that. Um, that you, we that we could play and get really? and, and get sued for. <laughs> um, Is it all covers? Uh, what the band? Uh, just the the is there a lot of covers in the throughout well, the weekend? Uh, well, so the show the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour is is just this show that I do from time to time, and it's kind of this crazy variety show with a lot of really fun bluegrass music, um, uh, featuring my old band, uh, the Lonesome Trio, a bunch of other musicians, and then we have comedy ridiculous stuff going on too. This weekend we had uh, Tom Lennon on and Will Ferrell, and uh, along with some great music. And last year you were on it, which was great. Um, tried to get you this year. I was Didn't out of work. town. I know. Didn't work. I know. I was in Florida. <laughs> I, I was in Florida. Was working. it worth it, Chris? I, I, no, it wasn't worth it. I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be doing because because I know how much you love Florida. <laughs> it's great. It, it feels really good to go outside and then instantly have to mop the dripping sweat off your eyeballs <laughs> and to suck in the air and taste water. It feels really good. And also that that sheen of sweat really creates a nice uh like you're like an ant under a microscope lens. Mm-hmm. Uh and just I, avoid it, of any breeze. Is yeah, it, none. Is it inappropriate that I'm Incredibly aroused right now. Yeah. Chris can explain no. anything and make it sexy. Yeah, uh, taxes, so, taxes. I was having double bypass surgery. The surgeon slid two fingers into my aorta, <laughs> and then he and then he had the nurse smell them. Um, um, so, the, so the whiskey sour radio hour is uh, also something that we incorporate into uh, an annual event called the LA Bluegrass Situation, which is four nights of shows at Largo. Um, and it's very bluegrass oriented. And uh, this year we had an incredible lineup. It was just this last weekend. Uh, Thursday night was Sarah and Sean Watkins with the Watkins Family Hour. Amazing. And uh, and they and, and Chris Thiele popped in. They had a Nickel Creek reunion. Oh, nice. that's awesome! A- absolutely banana. Bananas. Was no, was Their no cover m- of uh, "Spit on a Stranger" by Pavement is one of the best cover songs I've ever heard in my life. 
Yeah, they're, they're so awesome. They're absolutely bananas. And then uh, Friday night was Chris Thiele's band, the Punch Brothers, mm-hmm. who are banana cakes. And then Saturday night was my show, the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour, which we did two of back to back, which I don't know if I'll ever do again. <laughs> that was a lot. Was brutal, but so fun. Uh, the second show, everyone was a little bit tipsy and got a little crazy. It was really fun. And then uh, uh, Sunday night was Steve Martin with uh, uh, a fabulous band called the Steep Canyon Rangers. Yes. And uh, Steve, as you know, is an extraordinary banjo player. Yeah. Drop Thumb Medley. I mean, I used to listen to, like, I, I listened to his banjo playing on the old comedy records as much as I listened to the bits. The Steve Martin yeah. brothers? I'm actually, the Steve, the Steve Martin <laughs> brothers. I'm actually surprised I didn't pick up the banjo because of Steve Martin. I, I actually tried to pick up the banjo because of Steve Martin. I was obsessed. I had a, a, a King Tut 45, and on the other side was just two different uh, uh, banjo tunes of, that he did. And I was like, oh, my God, to, to be in comedy, you also have to learn how to play the banjo. I thought in my head that's what I thought you had to do. And so I was saving up money every week. I was, like, doing a bunch of chores. My dad was giving me a little bit of money at a time. And then, um, and then like, I, I, Science. I, I, was, I had a number that I had to get up to. Uh, because there was at the Coconut Grove at the used music shop, there was a banjo for three hundred fifty dollars. So I was like saving up money, saving up money. Now I finally get enough money. I go in, and as I'm walking up the stairs to Coconut Grove, there's a dude walking down the stairs with a banjo. I was like, oh, that kind of looks like the banjo's gonna get. <laughs> well, time to go get that banjo. And then I get up there, and the guy's like, oh no, dude, because I had been going in and trying to play with it and kind of checking it out. And the guy kind of, the guy at the used Wait, music how shop. How old were you? I was probably uh, twelve. So then you just. You just wasted the money on Samoan blowjobs. So this is so sad. It really is. I mean, this is like a very poignant. Fate uh, said to yeah. you, "You will not play this banjo." No, no, that uh, was the only banjo in Hawaii. That actually too. was. Yeah, they don't. They're not a big banjo. I did. Culture. I did look. I did look around. Uh, it's just there was. It was just the cheapest one I could afford. And like you know, I. Uh, but then I. I got into playing the drums. Uh, but Which was sort of like an unstringed banjo. Yeah, that it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Lot, um, but, lot less uh, cool. Yeah, so we were talking uh, about how cool it was. I used an iPad as my set list during the show, and what we were talking about is how cool it would be if someone like a stage manager off stage could scroll a document on the iPad uh, on the stage and also fling you notes if you need them, like like push notes and things. Ooh, yeah, like, oh, maybe, wow, yeah, yeah, like yeah, send updates or bubbles. Yeah, which you know he could do if if he that actually you could do if because you just you just you share a Dropbox folder with him. And he can he can put stuff in his Dropbox folder and then it'll appear in your Dropbox. Well, but the, but you'd, you'd have, have to. to but the point is the, the the whole point. Hardwick, the reason I'm talking about this to <laughs> begin very with angry is that is that is that you, <laughs> on on stage you don't want to touch the thing. That's true. You want it just to mirror yeah. or just to like someone remotely control it so that uh, so that you know sort of like a teleprompter where somebody's actually controlling the speed of the. Scrolling text, yeah, and there are teleprompter apps for, for iPad, but they they do um, they act on preset timings. It's so not, if you fuck not, up, it's like it's not going to stop for you. Yeah, it won't stop for you. Exactly. Have you ever thought about honing your capacitive telekinesis skills? <laughs> well, that would just no. blow up. What iPad would just blow up? No, it wouldn't. You'd just be able to control it with your mind. Is the point? If your mind was that strong, wouldn't you be able to just remember mm-hmm. the? You know, that's a different part of the brain, Jonah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're clearly not a Sorry, neuroscientist. Sorry, I, I haven't seen Phenomenon in a long time, starting to John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, why'd you bring it up? He, he lives in the flowers. He lives in the air. Um, that was such a weird turn that movie took, where it's like, oh, my God, this guy has these cool powers. Oh, it's a tumor. 
Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. If you haven't flash. seen Phenomenon by this point, you're probably it's probably not high on your list. Yeah, you know, there's two t- two types of people: the Phenomenon people, and then people who like the movie Michael. <laughs> and you know, when it comes Just to their fantasy, categories. Yeah. I'm a look who's talking guy. Yeah, look yeah. who's talking yeah. to. Look who's talking like now. now. That the, the, now was with the animals. Yeah, the dogs. But Danny DeVito. did they both have John Travolta? Yeah, uh, they all have John Travolta. They all have yeah, John Travolta. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. Yep. Or, or is Blanca Patrick Collar Kirstie Boulevard? Yeah, I know that. Blank yeah. <laughs> Patrick's joke. I love. Actually, the first look who's talking was. was <laughs> I know. I know. I'm not laughing at that. No, I'm not glaring at, all. at you a, both. Yes, in, disa- <laughs> in disapproval. Uh, I really there should be some sort of a remote because you can uh, you can remotely control your computer, your desktop computer through your apps. You can remotely control uh, your Apple TV uh, through your iPad and through right. your iPhone. Right. So it seems like you should be able to remotely control uh, the you know your iPhone from your iPad and vice versa. Well, now here's what you can do, which is really cool, is you can plug in. I I, I think. You can use your iPad to control like a, uh, you know, a big uh, multimedia presentation. Yes, through Keynote. Right, Keynote. Right. You can you can use the Keynote on your iPad to uh, to do that. But that's using th- this is this is the distinction. I don't care about using my iPad as a remote. I'm talking about remotely controlling my iPad. Well, you know, the I think the main problem is that uh, you would have to connect them some way. And you probably wouldn't be able to do it via Bluetooth. If I, I say that if if the next generation of iPhones and iPads uh, start using the NFC, the near field communication technology, I just cracked it. Wait, what is I it? In my head, I, I just thought of it. Something I too. thought of it. Ed first, he's a guest. We both, <laughs> we both telekinetically. Yeah. Do, are you guys near field communicating with your brains? My head almost here's, exploded. Here's okay. a workaround. Okay. Here's a workaround. All right. It's not what we're what we want, but you could have a document on your iPad, for example, on stage. Your stage manager off screen has Bluetooth a Bluetooth keyboard. connected keyboard and just scrolls down for you. Exactly, Done. that's exactly what came into my head too. But what's the uh, what's the radius of of it's just a few feet. feet? I mean, it's what is it like ten feet maybe, Matthew? No, you can go like thirty. Is it thirty? Oh, if it's yeah. thirty yeah. feet, you could. We did it! Yay! That's it. We did it! Yay! Guys, this is how problems get solved. Here's the bigger. All right. Okay. No, Cancer still a problem. This oh. is okay. This is still an issue. We just caused more cancer. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought of why this won't work. Uh oh. Because the stage manager in the wings can't see the screen and has no idea where they are in the document. So if they're scrolling down, they have no idea. <laughs> they have no idea how well, far if they you should wanted be scrolling. To, you could connect the video adapter, and he could have his own monitor. That would there you go. There Boom. It is. Done. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how you do but it. But the video adapter has to be connected. You can just stream it down iPad, and then yeah, like uh, tape the, down the the cords across the stage. There are cables on the stage anyway. That, the cables, there's cables on the stage. I'm yeah. not worried. The cables, yeah. we, cables we can deal with. I think that's it. This would work. Yeah. Is there, is there any, is there any yeah. kind of airplay if he had a monitor? If he had, uh, if he had a, a, a monitor backstage, mm-hmm. could could airplay kick? No, because airplay no, only no, airplay works with it. Can um can a Bluetooth keyboard is be connected to still, two different uh, is devices? Is anyone still listening? No. A lot of people actually. <laughs> is anyone still listening? We're all, our audience is all nerds. Are you kidding? There, <laughs> yeah. right right now, that was just the simultaneous cacophony of a hundred thousand ejaculations happening at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't think it's ejaculations. People going nah, the people who knew what no, to no. do the entire time. Right. That was, yeah. that, actually, yeah. that was Alderaan blowing up. That's what you felt. There's, there's yeah, people, was oh, tiny... people like was like like was pacing around the room, like knocking things over. Like I know the answer to this. You know when I when I'm with a lady for a first time, I want her to think I'm really enjoying it. So I have I have two discharges, and the first one I go precum, and then uh, and then the <laughs> a second lot of pre-cum. one, yeah, a lot of I know, pre-cum. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I want her to think I'm having a good time. 
So, uh, you know, <laughs> how are ladies, you? ladies like that. <laughs> ladies Why really. am I, I'm sneezing in here. Are you allergic? I've been, I've been hitting my cough button. I assume that also works. I use for that for my, you allergic to I use that for my burps. I'm <laughs> and when I do this, <laughs> that's nice. It's like a little beastie boys. <laughs> intergalactic, planetary, planetary, intergalactic. <laughs> oh my god, that would be a fucking great bluegrass cover. Yeah. That w- you're right. That would that be would a be phenomenal really bluegrass that would cover. Because my, I mean, I love. Um, Mike Furman and I did a bluegrass medley of Radiohead covers called Rodeohead. Which is just like 18 Radiohead songs. By in the way, five the, the Punch Brothers do a completely unironic and phenomenal show of uh, of like very beautifully interpreted uh, Radiohead songs. Really? Yeah. Uh-oh. And it's it's actually I saw it at, at uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival last year, and it blew people's minds. It's like a very, very like. Uh, uh, Intense and very like legit. What songs did they cover? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, like, is that up anywhere? I don't think so. It was a live thing. It, I'm not sure if it's. Well, if out I there. can't find any of those, I'll just I'll stick Rodeohead at the end of this broadcast. Uh, broadcast. But I remember you guys. <laughs> yeah, I remember Hard and Firm doing like with a little blue You guys. I how remember, you? I remember just how awesome it was when you guys had the uh, the backing band video. Yeah, because we couldn't. It was costing us so much money. Yeah, like five dudes, right? We had we had four or five dudes. We could never play it live, so we literally found one banjo player, um, a guy named Cody Bryant. We found him, and no one wanted to play. Like every banjo player, we'd call. First of all, they all know each other. All the banjo players in LA seemed to know each other because we'd call like the local banjo uh, club, hotline, the banjo hotline. and they'd be like, <laughs> no, 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 and then and then we'd tell them what we wanted to do. And then we'd uh, and they'd go no 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 you want this other guy he plays a five string banjo and they go no no you need a four string banjo with a guy who's heavy on jazz because because <laughs> like Radiohead's like heavy nine eight jazz. signature right you know right. and so we found one guy who could do it and we just couldn't keep bringing this whole bluegrass band all around L A so we shot them in a studio playing a song and Mike Furman in After Effects put up all this like scrolling news ticker and stuff and we pretended that we were playing with them live via satellite yeah but we put all these dumb non sequitur things at the bottom of the screen. I mean, literally just stuff like sharks are assholes, just like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that was great. And then people would still after the show go, how did you get a satellite link up? That's like, cool. Though. Really? Sharks are assholes? Yeah. You really think that was on CNN? <laughs> yeah, so, I, remember, I remember thinking that was rad because it was just like CNN through a window. Was too. It was through a window. Yeah, I never yeah. saw that, but that... Uh, yeah. It was wow. the only way we could uh, would, could affordably play that song. And you're, you're booked as that, doing that act on the next Whiskey Sour Radio Hour. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if we can do it. Yes. Did the audio come from that video? Did you, was that? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so they play the backing track, and then Mike Mike plays along live, and yeah. then we he, we both sing along live. That's yeah, yeah. a very very clever solution. Yeah. We're just solving all kinds of problems. I remember, yeah. I remember you would, there was even the joke up front. I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? They're like, hey. You know, <laughs> yeah, we talk, we talk to them, and then, yeah, and yeah. then we go, uh, so to prove this is live, yeah. uh, the is there anything the you have there? And then, <laughs> yeah. and then Lee Farber, who writes on The Soup, he goes, yeah. oh, I have a newspaper. And I go, what is the date of the newspaper? And he goes, uh, today's. And I go, great. <laughs> so it's, it's just a stupid workaround, just yeah. a dumb workaround. I but, remember, though, it was timed perfectly. I never saw it uh, even get close to being off sync. Yeah, we practice, man. Yeah. Mike and I just mm, practice in our own Doing her homework. Um, I love, though, because I'm so fat. I, I adore bluegrass music. I, I have the Bluegrass Series channel uh, and my presets. Uh, I absolutely love. It was was Noam uh, Pickelny. Yeah, Pickelny. Pickelny. Noam, he was, uh, he's in the Punch Brothers. So he was there uh, uh, Friday night on he's, Friday uh, night's show. 
I guess mind blowing would be the perfect word to describe. Well, of course he was he he was on the Whiskey Sour show yeah, last, last year, year that you did, and then and he won that he won that bluegrass right, award, the, that the, Steve, the Martin. Steve Martin banjo prize, which yes. is a fifty thousand dollar cash prize Holy to shit. to someone. Uh, it, there there are a lot of these kinds of artistic uh, rewards for uh, in classical music and jazz for really for musicians who are um, who are kind of on the cutting edge and doing something really special. Uh, and musicians, as we know, aren't generally making tons of money, especially right. in fields like bluegrass and jazz. And so, yeah. uh, so this was a this is the first award of its kind in the bluegrass world, and uh, and and it was Steve Martin's idea, and he endowed it. And so, Noam won the first one, and they announced it on on Letterman. Noam got to play on Letterman, which was very very cool. And uh, and he is a space alien. On the banjo, like you cannot believe. Are space what aliens he's doing. known for being really good at the banjo? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those Star Trek planets where the entire planet is one central theme. It's that seventh <laughs> So everyone plays. Every, it's just that 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 idea of the universe that every planet is just one thing. Yeah. yeah. But this is a pleasure planet. Right. Yeah. This is a banjo planet. <laughs> so that's where Noam. That's where Noam comes from. A really nice guy too. I remember from yeah. from last All year. All those guys are are great. You know. Bluegrass music typically doesn't draw the jerk population. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, because it, it really it's there. It's a very respectful subculture. Well, I think it's uh, that people are so happy to have found each other. They're kind of like, oh, you like this too. <laughs> well, beyond that, let's be friends. Beyond that, to play bluegrass music, you have to be good. Like it, it's 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 not it's not just like oh, I know three rock chords, right? You know, like you you can't. It's very difficult to fake good bluegrass music. I think because. You know, you're picking a banjo. There's, you know, you're playing a fretless stand-up bass. Uh, I mean, it's, it, or you're playing a mandolin, which is a fucking hard instrument to play. So I, I just, I think that, uh, I think that you, if you go into bluegrass, you have to be really good. Um. Well, I may be the exception to that. That's not true. I saw you play. You're really good. Did you ever? Did you? There was a my one of my favorite uh, bluegrass bands was a band that was L.A. based, and they played for years uh, called the Cousin Lovers. And they were fucking phenomenal. I don't know those guys. And it was one of those bands that you just you'd see them live. As my friend Tim Ferguson, and he was a phenomenal uh, a mandolin player. And you know, I think they have an album called uh, "You're There for Experience," and it's it's more it's more sort of like contemporary bluegrass. Like the the theme the the musical themes are contemporary. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just blue. They're just good, solid musicians. Well, there's a lot. I mean, the 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 word bluegrass. Uh, can mean so many different things to, to some people. It just means uh, a, a certain arrangement of instruments, banjo, fiddle, bass, guitar, you know, uh, mandolin. And, and, and then whatever the music is can be a million different things. Right. And, and a band like the punch brothers or the infamous string dusters or crooked still like all these cool bands are kind of like redefining what that instrument cluster can can produce what yeah. are the um, um how much how many ties does uh bluegrass music have to just uh irish um kind of like you know picky uh you know i don't i i, I think the ancestry of bluegrass music is is uh more of the sort of scottish hill country music yeah. uh that you know appalachian the the, the the scottish settlers in appalachia that that kind of got mixed with um american uh you know, spirit gospel music yeah, and things yeah. like that. But, um, but there's no question a lot of Irish, there's a lot of players that kind of cross into both 
categories that play Irish and play bluegrass and especially fiddle players overlap. But um, oh, that last time that I remember last year, not only was the main show that we did super fun, but then you guys went to the little room at Largo. Oh yeah, and fucking jammed you jammed with sarah watkins and jackson brown yeah like jackson brown was there and then he went up and, and you guys just jammed that was yeah th those little room jams are the greatest that's one of the coolest things about largo is is the is the community that just kind of like bubbles up out of the woodwork and everyone just loves to hang out and and Play great music. I mean, that you know, Flanagan is such a genius and such a sweet guy. The guy who runs Largo, that that Largo is really the hub of the, like some of the best comedy and music. I mean, like you know, you saw um, you know this is this is where guys like Paul Tompkins and Sarah Silverman and and Posehn and, and Zach and, and Zach and Mitch Hedberg and like a lot of these people flourished at Largo yeah. uh, in the nineties. And and, and and musically, musically, it was like Elliot Smith and uh, Amy, Mann. Amy Mann and Fiona Apple and yeah. Grantley uh, Phillips and and of course Nickel Creek and those guys you yeah. know the Watkins and Rufus all those guys. Rufus uh, Wayne, Wainwright and I mean like it's it's just an incredible hub of of comedy and music and I like that they're so sort of closely related like all of these all these musicians John Bryan they're all like funny people yeah, yeah. like they're genuinely funny people that's why I thought it was perfect when uh, Loudon Wainwright the third started like did a couple shows at Largo like maybe about like ten years ago yeah I thought that was pretty spot on just because it's you know comedy and he's so funny. How does ten-year-old uh, Ed Helms wrap his mind around playing banjo with Steve Martin? <laughs> ten-year-old Ed Helms? What oh, do you mean? Maybe not. Like yeah, eleven I and a half. I guess oh, it'd be you mean, like you, you mean like uh, like like you're, as you as a kid, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. like because I, I imagine that you were probably a Steve Martin fan. I was a Steve Martin fan, but a huge Steve Martin fan. Um, but oddly, my bluegrass trajectory kind of was separate from my. I, I I loved Steve Martin as a comedian, and I I always thought that it was really cool that he played the banjo. But, um, but you know, bluegrass uh, music for me kind of. Uh, I don't know. I I got into it through different channels. So now, what's was really cool for me and kind of a privilege in the last couple of years is getting to getting to know Steve Martin through our mutual love of of banjo music <laughs> and not through comedy like something that i think would you would think is what drew us together is this sort of common career that we share but really it's actually this uh this other interest that we have my which, guess is that steve martin does not want to talk about comedy he probably only wants to talk about banjo that clearly art. seems to be his passion he to yeah. talk about art, and art. Banjo. Yeah, yeah he yeah. does like to talk about art um no he's uh he's just a a really inspired and and like passionate guy and and his and he's an incredible songwriter that he's put these two albums out in the last couple of years that are jaw-dropping it was the one so, from a year or two ago the crow the crow yeah. that one's great which i picked I, that one up when i was at the uh, banjo um museum in yeah. uh, uh, oklahoma city that's just a beautiful wonderful tune and and i i actually had the privilege of playing it with him this last Sunday night as our clo our we closing night of the and find an artistic endeavor that Steve Martin's not good at. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's a genius. He's Glass a... blowing. All right, <laughs> we stumped You'd him. You'd be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Well, you know, he, you know what though? He's uh, he he's experienced balloon animal shaper. Oh, that's right. Glass yeah. blowing. That's right. 
Hey. Your lower intestines. It's still, it's still. Uh, it, I still get giddy when I see Steve Martin tweeting at Albert Brooks, and then and Albert Brooks tweeting back at Steve Martin. Still, just what a me. world we live in. Yeah, now. right. We get to hear the conversation between two comedy. Giants. They both tweeted at me once, and it's not because they have any idea who I am, because they tweet back to a lot of people. But I still like. I felt that. As soon as I saw that I got a tweet from Albert Brooks, I felt like I was about to evacuate my balls. Yeah. I mean, my balls. Your balls. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. bowels. Wait, Where do you keep your you balls? Know what? Fuck it. I'll your evacuate. Bowels. I'll tell you what. Albert Brooks get balls and bowels. How about that? Yeah. It's just everything evacuates so I can prepare for flight to run around in circles and scream. Yeah. Uh, but it is it is such an interesting time where I mean when we were younger we had these you know I had these comedy legends like Steve Martin or George Carlin or Richard Pryor or, and there was there was little to no chance that we would ever be able to communicate with these people and now I don't know if, if people really understand especially the younger generation of folks how what a gift it is that you can actually communicate with people that you idolize mm. I, I don't know it, is it, it it's it's a gift but it's also kind of terrifying. Like can, you call, can you say it's a curse? Well, because uh, can I say it's a curse? Yes, yeah. it's a gift, but it's, it's also curse? a curse. It's a gift. It's it's a gift, but also a curse. Oh. <laughs> it's a curse. Vertigo. <laughs> 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 um, but you know, because it, there's something when everyone has a voice, yeah. a lot of toxic stuff gets out there too, and and that's a that's kind of a creepy. thing. Mostly toxic stuff. Mostly yeah. toxic stuff. Comments gets out there. when you only care enough to say the very worst. That's <laughs> true, honey. I guess that's. I guess that is true. I mean, you're you're on Twitter. You're uh, uh you're Edward Helms. Right? Yeah, but I I'm sort of uh, on it, but not really. I don't. I don't know. I haven't really gotten into it. Yeah. I'm a little. I don't know. Kind of like a pri- private person. I don't like. I don't like any of you people at all. <laughs> well, that, that just came out though. <laughs> Let me tweet that. I don't like any of you. <laughs> no, I I the just uh, in the room. I sort of. Uh, I don't know. I like to have, like to feel like I'm. I still have a little bubble of privacy or something. Yeah. But I think but maybe Twitter. I think, maybe I'm overthinking it. Like Twitter doesn't necessarily violate that. It's just kind of no, like putting every. It's what you want to show. I mean, it's, it's not, not like you know, like if I, if I have a fight with my girlfriend, it's not like I go on Twitter and go. I had this really intense conversation with you know like. I know, but when I had a fight with your girlfriend, I I, I tweeted about it. That well, was some funny. No, some funny tweets. Yeah, it's some of my best work. I just, I just, she just wished that you had shouted pre cum <laughs> <laughs> the first time uh, on the little uh, preview. But I want to know um, did you, like, where did you grow up and where did you start comedy? And, you know, was it something that you pursued as a kid or, or how did it all? Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, you mean Hotlanta? Hotlanta. Don't say that. That Sorry. pisses people off. Oh, ATL? <laughs> I yeah, ATL. Can I say ATL. Yeah, the 404. Can I say the Hustle and Flow? He's from the Hustle and Flow. Let him talk. What's okay. the 404? Isn't that a- a- Atlanta? Oh, 404 area code, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, grew up there, and then went went off to college in Ohio, Oberlin College, and uh, I just always wanted to be uh, on doing t- comedy on TV. I th- there was something about all those shows, like you know Saturday Night Live and Seinfeld, and 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 and, and when I was a teenager a young teenager the the ha network which was what what eventually became comedy mm-hmm. central was on and i was obsessed with that i watched the stand-up specials there wasn't a lot of content to show on that channel Not at the yet, time. And a so lot of it was kind of canadian it, it was like yeah. a lot you're right yeah there was a lot of like weird uh stand-up 
video. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call it like specials. <laughs> it was just stuff that they had like cobbled together. They were just sort yeah. of they were just sort of raping the comedy boom from the eighties <laughs> yeah. for material because yeah. yeah. you had the Hot Channel and then Comedy Channel, and it was a lot of like Paul Provenza and, yep. and all these great you know the guys that 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 sort of set up where we are now and. Um, and I just w- w- just drank that stuff up. I couldn't get enough. And of course, the kids in the hall on on HBO at the time was so formative for me. Yeah. I just wanted and Saturday Night Live. I just wanted to be like in that universe. So when I uh, graduated from college, I moved to New York City, and uh, and I had another job for a couple of years before I realized. You know, I sort of said to myself. You know the reason you moved to New York City was to do comedy, right? Isn't it interesting <laughs> how people forget that because well, they just get so caught up in like I gotta pay my bills. It's not yeah. just that. It's like there's there's a lot of fear, you know. Like I think there's for me it was a matter of kind of getting over the the fear of failure, you mm-hmm. know. Which of course I've never really lost. I think we, we all struggle with that, but um, but I it's like if I didn't try comedy, then I then I could I would never. I could never fail at it. So it's all it was sort of like I could always say, "Oh, I could have done comedy." And unless I did it and failed, in right. which case, does this make any sense? Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. so so then I I I eventually kind of just came to terms with that and I was like, "If I'm going to do this, I got to do it. It's time and, to do it." And how did you do it? Did you keep a day job? Did you do comedy at night? Did you do stuff at UCB? I or? did. I kept the I I sort of kept a day job um and uh, ar- actually around that time I had started doing voice doing reasonably well in the voiceover kind of racket, which is commercial voiceovers for TV commercials and radio commercials and all that stuff. And so I started to make a livable wage doing that. So my days were fairly flexible. I'd have like four or five auditions, voiceover auditions all day long, all over New York City. Mm -hmm. And then at night, I was just in all those clubs until two, three in the morning, every night. And it was sort of like... uh, it was a, I just made the decision like every, every time there's a microphone that someone will allow me to talk into in front of an audience, I'm going to get there. And so it was, uh, you know, there was four five, six, seven years of that just Mm kind of going out every night. And it was really awesome. Did you go on the road at all? You know, I was sort of more of a, the, uh, New York city, based comic i did a little bit of road stuff some colleges and and then like a lot of new york comedians the tri-state area you kind of like bounce out to long island and up in connecticut it's such a good place to i mean like if you start you know there's there's sort of like feeder communities are a little bit smaller like oh you know actually atlanta has a decent comedy scene you know um, denver has a good comedy scene then you move to like san francisco or chicago then you can migrate to new york right but i never i always tell people like don't come to la first because it's not a good place yeah i I really sort of met my (laughs) i kind of was was methodical about it i thought you know to, to me it was either los angeles and like you know try to get into the groundlings and kind of go that route or uh or go to chicago and really try to work my way into the second city world um, or go to New York City and try to um, kind of go it alone as a stand-up comedian. And I felt like that's where I could just have more of an impact. And actually, I think also doing stand-up comedy, um, you have a little more control of your destiny. It's a, it's sure. a more entrepreneurial yeah. endeavor 
than just going and joining a, 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 an existing entity. Like, well, it also makes you feel like you have control over what you're doing. Right. I mean, like there were, you know, I mean, there were spans of a few years where I didn't work, but mm -hmm. I always felt like at least I'm moving forward in some way because I have stand up yeah. to do. Right. Uh, and I can do that every night. And that's up to me. Right. And right. so I always felt like I'm a little more in control of my destiny than just, you know, like just auditioning for stuff as an actor. And when you're a stand up, it's a you, you're never you're not like an improv kid where we were saying you have to identify yourself with an entire group or a theater or anything like that. You're just yeah. kind of your own co uh, comedic entity. Yeah, you don't, exactly. No one will say it's like, well, he's a UCB kid. You know, no one will. No one right. can say that. They could just say, oh, well, he's just a comic. That's right. where. Yeah, that's where I think uh, comedy is. Uh, stand up comedy is such a such a cool kind of. I don't know, uh, exciting thing because you, you, you can, if you work really hard, you will get better and better and better. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, you're the one who gets the credit for that. It's also on the flip side when you are tanking and when you're failing, there's no one to sort of blame. But I kind of <laughs> like that. I kind of like too. having a, full responsibility exactly. for it. Yeah. That's what I liked about it was like, I, it was, it was me. It was on my terms and I was either, I was either, it was either working or bombing because of me and i could sort of it, it was exciting to me to kind of own that responsibility and i also love the sort of free fall of like if you're in a scene with someone if you're doing a sketch and it's not going over you're in that sketch until it's until it's right. done <laughs> right, right, right. you know but at least with stand-up you, <laughs> you can, you can make those quick <laughs> yeah, decisions yeah. or talk to the crowd or you know like you have you literally are just this Weird comedy wizard. Yeah, 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 you yeah, control yeah. everything. Unless you're in the middle of like a story or like a longer bit, then you just you kind of it's hard to just bail well, up. But what's that. interesting is that uh, I wrote uh, I wrote an article for Wired last year about comedy writing, oh, boy, and I talked. To, I talked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Jeez. if it's available anywhere, like the internet. But um, but there, but I uh, uh, but Bob Newhart. I got Bob Newhart to submit something. And what he said he does is his stories have a series of bailout points. So he has pre-placed a series of bailout points throughout the story. That's great. And he just goes th through the story until it's not working anymore. <laughs> That's perfect. And then he jumps out, and then he goes home and then tries to figure out how to get past to the next bailout point. It's almost like, right. it's almost like pole position, that old yeah. video It's like, oh, i got to get to the next checkpoint. Right, right. So it's a really, it was a genius. I never thought of it that way before, but it was a really genius way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I Yeah, I guess, I, I, I think if you have the right, kind of energy you can really bail out of anything yeah, at the exactly. right <laughs> at any point always know where your exits are yeah but the, cool, the cool thing about stand-up in new york city was that the comedy community at least kind of when i was there um uh was this is about 10 years ago i guess i'm talking about mm -hmm. between i don't know 13 14 years 14 and 12 years ago that little stretch uh it was such a everyone was in it together. There was this feeling of like all the improv guys, UCB had just started and everyone was kind of psyched about Upright Citizens Brigade and 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 it was starting to make its mark and and comedians uh hung out with improv comedy people, sketch comedy people. Everyone hung out together. There was, there was a bar uh, in Chelsea that everyone hung out. There was literally like cheers for, McManus. for comedians. McManus, yeah, Mc, yeah, McManus. And uh and that sense of that sense of community uh, was so exciting, and I I'm I'm so I feel so privileged to have been a part of that at that time because I don't know what it's like now, but um, but there was an excitement and an energy and something that felt like uh, like everyone was in it together and kind of rooting for each other, and and that's why I felt 
I think that's kind of what gave me a sense of like I'm out, I'm out in the right place mm-hmm. because in that world, like friends of mine were starting to get auditions for you know The Daily Show or or Saturday Night Live or uh, or sitcoms or whatever it was, and and people were doing a lot of our our friends in that crew were doing bits on Conan and becoming writers on Conan and things like that. So it kind of felt like this little farm league and a, and a good crew. And I, it was a, it was a really exciting five, four or five years there. So what was your first kind of big, what was your first job where you were like, Oh, I think this actually is going to <laughs> change things a little bit. Um, well, there was, I guess a lot of, uh, you you kind of can mark your progress in stand up just by this by the time slots you're getting at different comedy <laughs> clubs you know what i mean like if you're getting more of the kind of primetime spots and and i didn't really crack the nut of new york city stand up i wasn't like a main featured guy at like the comedy cellar or the comic strip right. but but i was getting you know at some of the lesser clubs i was getting uh good good spots, but also a lot of the, the regular, the kind of shows that comedians put together mm-hmm. around town. I was doing a, a lot of those and just in sort of bars and whatnot, but I always find those to be the most fun. Th- those can be a lot of fun. Uh, they can also be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> absolute cause, worst. Cause sometimes, sometimes yeah. those shows, it's comedy in general, though. you know, like people don't know that there's about to be a comedy show yeah. and then all of a sudden the microphone <laughs> right, goes exactly. up. It's like, <laughs> can I have everyone's attention, please? No, I'm hitting on this girl at the bar. Sir, Shut please, up, please, sir. Comedian. Later, I want to tell you about how crazy it is uh, to eat cereal. <laughs> Hold on. Let me turn off this uh, football game. Everyone seems to be into and let's start the jokes. <laughs> No, they, yes. Oh, this yes. room seems to be haunted. <laughs> uh, there was one show I did actually. The first tour I did, if you could call it that, it wasn't even a tour. It was just a trip to uh, Santa Fe. I took with Dimitri Martin and this guy William Mullen and Karen Burgreen, and we all uh, we played at this piano bar in Santa Fe. And <laughs> the, I just remember the, uh, the 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 piano player at this piano bar, which this bar was like an institution in Santa Fe. And he was so angry that the comedians were playing. It oh, just was very passive aggressive oh, towards us. It was really fun though. Well, you, you, yeah, when comedy comes, hey, I don't fucking bring my piano into your comedy club. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, the, to answer your question, I think the first thing that made me feel like, all right, this is maybe I'm doing something right here, uh, was Premium Blend, mm-hmm. which was an early. Uh, I did Premium Blend in 2001. Yeah. Um, I remember it. Yeah, that's about the time I did it. Or no, I did it in 2002. Okay. You did it, yeah. Because I had actually, in between the time that I was booked on Premium Blend and when I actually did Premium Blend, I also got hired on The Daily Show. Right. So I was, was kind I, of a... I had become a Daily Show correspondent and then I went and did a Premium Blend set. Um, so uh, I guess that was, uh, of course, The Daily Show was was a major kind of... I mean, you felt the impact of that right away. Well, kind of yes and no. I mean, it, it was a tremendous validation of of years of kind of being in the trenches. But on the other hand, that you don't really get a sense of permanence there for quite a while, right? You know, there there's a there's a trial period, and um, and so I kind of felt a little bit on eggshells for a while, but um, but eventually settled in, and and yeah. What was the what was the audition process like for the Daily Show? Did they did they just come out and see you do a set, or did you have to prepare like no, a, a piece? At that, at that time, um, 
the 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 Comedy Central talent person. I was just on her radar, um, and as, as a comedian, as a stand-up comedian, so she was aware of me. And then they had this big cattle call audition, and uh, I don't know, a couple hundred people came in. I think at that time, and uh, it was you re- literally just reading a segment, a, a teleprompted segment from the show. Oh wow! Just as a as a you know as a stand-up reporter. But it was a segment I had already seen on the show. I had, seen, <laughs> I had seen. I mean, I watched the show religiously, so I had seen Colbert do this exact segment, and then it's my audition piece, and I was like, "All right, I'll knock this out of the park." <laughs> I, I, know, I know exactly how you want it, and uh, and then um, and that that was the first round, and then there was a callback where about ten of us went into the studio and actually did this the the that same piece mm-hmm. um, in the studio with John Stewart. And then sat at the desk with John and did a little chat segment with him too. Oh, that's cool. And uh, yeah, and that was it. And that that was the in in that round is uh, when Rob Cordry and I were hired the exact oh, same wow. time. Yeah. Oh, that must have been a great. That must have been fun. I mean, that's like that's like when the Daily Show was just popped, like right right there. Really, that's kind of when it blew up. You know what? Yeah. To me, it popped from the very beginning. I was like, even when Craig Kilborn was a host, I I was obsessed with it. I yeah. Craig it was, Kilborn. I thought it was a great blah 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 blah. <laughs> Here's the joke. Craig <laughs> <laughs> <Great> Kilborn. <laughs> um, but I uh, I loved it even because it started when I was in college and I was just like, this is a really special cool show that yeah. it's, it's about damn time someone started doing this. I remember the the because the, uh, Doug Herzog, who went to run Comedy Central, he left MTV to go run Comedy Central, and so I was working at MTV at the time, and he went over to Comedy Central, and I just went and had lunch with him or something, and he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna develop this uh, this kind of like daily show. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a daily news kind of show." You know what's funny is that the 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 name the Daily Show was so ironic when it was when it was named that that was that was a joke. The name The Daily Show was a meta joke because no one called itself what The it Daily Show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like calling something The Morning Show. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. And, and 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 it had like ironic value, but it's lost it over time. Now yeah. it's just become this proper noun, The Daily, the show, Daily show. And everyone yeah. accepts it for it's what a it label. is. Like and Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's lost its kind of... Uh, Irony. Even Colbert Report, which is his fucking name, right? Yeah. It just sounds like it's just a thing. Right. right. Colbert Report. Right. It's now it's, it's 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 so funny how these things just kind of get, you know, they they get grooved into our neural networks as like normal. But for but when it started, it was this neural networks. Yeah. It, Free come. <laughs> I love that TED talk. I still I still can't hear the uh, the Daily Show theme without thinking about the episode uh, that Bill Murray was on. It was like one of the five questions was like, "Can you make lyrics to the Daily Show theme song?" He was just like, <laughs> "Yeah." Why won't you watch it? It's the Daily Show. Come on and watch it. It's the Daily Show. And then everyone's like, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. He yeah. did it. Now I can't help but hear it every this time. Is the, my, this is one of my greatest memories of that theme is backstage before the show. Uh, if if I was on the show and Colbert was also on the show, he would do this thing where uh, when the theme played in the studio... He would pretend like he was a trumpet player, and he'd, he'd be, he would be backstage, just like you know, like warming up his fingers and stuff, waiting waiting for the music to start, and then uh, and and like 
and then the announcer would come on, ladies and gentlemen, the or the the Daily Show, and then the theme starts, and he would put the trumpet up to his mouth like he was gonna play, and then the guitars kick in, and he's bring the trumpet down. I'm like, wait, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be my trumpet part. I get all indignant. Uh, it's so funny. Just, every time, right? They do it every Col- time. Colbert pantomime bits, just <sighs> genius. Does he does? Does he drop character before he goes on, or is he pretty much? Does he pretty much become the character of the public character of Stephen Colbert? Uh, no, I you know I think uh, everyone's in character pretty much when the character when the camera's rolling, and yeah. then and then and not, everyone's cool, and, and they're not, not like yeah. Please uh, only I so, only address me in character. <laughs> right, right, a, right. All right, method Stephen Colbert. Well, if you want to talk to Ed Helms, uh, you're gonna have to wait a few minutes. Wait, is this Ed Helms now, or is it the other Ed Helms no, I'm talking this to? This is Daily Show Ed Helms. I'll oh, be, okay. I'll All be right. back in a minute. Uh, <laughs> let, let me just go in this closet. Stretch, stretch. <laughs> uh, and then, so how did uh, was 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 the Office? Because you know, obviously, uh, being a fan of the original Office, America has this really interesting pattern of. We don't have a strong success rate with trying to convert British shows because I always feel like, you know, like we speak the same word language, but there are so many subtextual things that are culturally that make us just different enough that things that work over in England don't necessarily work over here. I call it the coupling conundrum. The coupling conundrum. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, was a Stephen Moffat show, which (laughs) Stephen Moffat wrote on. And they, they tried to make coupling work like three seasons in a row here in America. The coupling was huge, huge British sitcom. Every year they would they would bring it back for like three years and they could never get it to work. And so it never made it past the pilot. So when The Office was coming to America, I think I kind of had this this snotty comedy prejudice of like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Right. And you guys totally made it your own show. I mean, it was an incredible feat that you have a completely separate show. And when most people talk about The Office in America now, they are generally not referring to the British version. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh I, that's a real testament to Greg Daniels, who the the showrunner who who created the American version, and and Steve, obviously. Yeah, I remember when that I was a fan of the British show. Ricky Gervais is a just genius, mm-hmm. and when I heard it was coming over, I actually auditioned for the part of Jim. Really, you believe oh, it? Yeah, oh. I remember going up to the NBC offices and auditioning in New York. Um, but uh, it, when when I heard that it was coming over uh, and I heard that Carell was going to be the Ricky Gervais character, I, I a lot of people like you were kind of like, oh, boy, here we go. But I actually was 100 percent confident that it was going to crush because I had I just had that much. I was such a fan of, of Carell's. Yeah. And we overlapped just a tiny bit on The Daily Show, like two months or something, just and had really only met a couple of times. He was back and forth to L.A., uh, at the time, I think doing that uh, Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus show, mm-hmm. watching Ellie, is that oh. right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think wasn't he on that or something else before that? Anyway, um, so he was sort of not around that much when I was on the Daily Show, and then he officially left um, around the time, yeah, when the Office got going. So, uh, but I had I was I was so amped for it, and then of course they delivered. And really it just did. became something great. And then I waited for it to win an Emmy. And I was like, oh, I'll join that show. <laughs> <laughs> They've been asking you since the beginning. Come on, Ed. Come on the show. Let me just wait. see how it does. <laughs> yeah, wait till you win an Emmy. <laughs> Let me see if it works out. That's when okay. you'll get it. <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, will, it's Ed. Yeah, you'll do. Hey, Greg, it's Ed. Yeah. You'll do. I'll, I'll take it. I'll come on your show I'll come now. come on. I mean, how much is, is there? How much uh, 
is there a lot of improvising on the on the set or is it um i mean because it just it seems like it seems very organic it just seems like like a lot of a lot of organic comedy in in tv you don't have the same time flexibility that you do on a movie set sometimes so there is a lot of improvisation but it's very contained like Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't spin out into kind of like you know, crazy directions or, right. or, or new rants and stuff. You a have separate to... scene doesn't develop. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're not gonna like improvise something and then afterwards be like, now we have to shoot this because you guys said <laughs> yeah. that. that, that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that at all. Whereas in movies that can happen. Like you'll you'll improvise something and it'll go crazy and you'll you might make adjustments down the road because you have the sort of uh uh flexibility in the schedule or, or in the production. So uh, on the office we improvise but it's it's really contained and you still have to hit the beats of a scene mm-hmm. um so we can kind of stay on schedule and it also depends on the we have you know a different director for almost every show so uh it kind of depends on their vibe and what they how they direct and yeah and it also if if we are in a time crunch you you can't really improvise right because you, you just don't have time because improvising takes it's indulgent and it takes time. Oh, and if it doesn't work, <laughs> and yeah. a lot of times it doesn't that work. That is a weenie shrinker. Um, you're wasting but, all the film you're shooting on. Everyone's time, all the other actors. <laughs> but you're, uh, but the the scripts are so good. The writing staff at the office is so extraordinary that um, you don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to improvise, and and that's why when we do improvise, it tends to be little kind of one off lines and little kind of spin-off directions here and there but not like a huge kind of redirect of a scene yeah so now that Carell's leaving um uh man no one's really called me yet to fill in for him I don't know did you did they say anything to you yeah okay oh good they said that when they when I told him I was coming to do this this show they said will you uh will you ask Chris good yeah uh, to stop calling us. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, they may want my agent to call. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. probably what they mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah, want right. to keep it official. <laughs> yeah, just have the agent or the manager call to. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's it, it it. I'm sure it's a bummer to see Steve Carell go, but I mean, like when you talk about a show that has such a solid cast of characters, I don't think. I don't think the show is going to suffer one bit in terms of people not enjoying the show. I think it's, I mean, you guys have built such a, a great stable of, of people to that, watch. I mean, I, that's really gracious, Chris. And I, I, I happen to agree. We have an incredible cast on that show and, um, and Steve's the loss of Steve is sort of uh, catastrophic in one way, but on the other hand, it's just like a rebirth. It's an incredibly exciting new, I don't know, like a new reinvention of this of this Peter show. Gabriel left <laughs> exactly, and we got Shock the Monkey. It's <laughs> a fucking great uh, song. And, or we got Phil Collins in Genesis. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Right. right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I went. I went. I went. I went the Peter Gabriel yeah. route. Yeah. No, let's not do that. Yeah. Land of <laughs> Never confusion. Never go the Peter Gabriel route. We got illegal alien. Yeah. Yes. It's a no fun being an illegal <laughs> alien. alien. Oh, I'm saying. But we also got uh, Phil Collins and Philip Bailey. Uh, she's an easy lover. When you just saw the fun side of Phil Collins just fucking around with Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, those were good times. <laughs> um, and uh, so the hang- so Hangover. I mean, Hangover was, was one of those movies that really kind of redefined the next 
generation of comedy films being made because Whoa, no, I'm tell, I'll easy. tell you exactly why because it was I mean you guys were you guys were all you guys you guys were all well known I mean you guys were all known but film works like film people don't know who TV people are generally like film studio executives right. don't really know who TV people are and they don't generally treat TV I mean I've had tons of friends on TV shows and they're not treated very respectfully by studio people who tend to think it's this old you know pre-Vatican II idea of television and film, which is like, a oh, film is classy and television is, is for the plan. Yeah, he's a real up-and-comer. He's been uh, the lead of a TV show for about five years. So to get three guys that that weren't huge superstars yet to to basically uh, drive a film was was kind of a big, well, I think, kind of a big deal. Um, you know, it... I, I I think the big deal was the was this this like utterly shocking juggernaut that it became because there is there is a history of making it wasn't a big movie like the budget wasn't huge it was yeah. it was it wasn't like this massive risk for the studio you know it's not like they put uh, unknown guys in you know uh, a giant Terminator scale blockbuster right. Uh, it was a relatively low end in, in the budget sort of scale of things. It was relatively s- small. And um, uh, and I think, uh, you know, Todd Phillips, uh, God bless him, fought really hard to, to get the three of us in there and to be the, the central characters and, and uh, convinced Warner Brothers that we wouldn't ruin it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a uh, the the phenomenon became what was just the re- this response that no one predicted. Right. I mean, literally, like I was at a I was at a comic con in Chicago a couple like a month ago, and to see dudes walking around dressed up like your characters, it was so. <laughs> I mean, it's so it was awesome. But the same yeah. thing, I was like, holy shit! That's like just to see how much it's permeated culture. My, I, it's pretty. I, it's funny. Like just that blacking out that tooth. Yeah, I saw a lot of people at Halloween. <laughs> it's a very easy costume. You yeah. put on like a, a gray polo and black out your tooth and glasses, <laughs> and then of course a baby Bjorn and your and, and a beard and a beard. And all of a yeah. You're Zach. Zach. Yeah, I don't know how anyone could pretend to be Bradley Cooper though. That's a weird. They just got to be first devastatingly handsome. Yeah. Yep. Oh no, it's easy. You go to the gym uh, six hours a day for nine years. <laughs> you go home and have sex with every A-list actress. <laughs> when I like bring up Bradley Cooper, I don't have to go. You know that guy from that one Stella sketch that I really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy that was with Amy Poehler in What Hot American Summer. You yeah. know the guy. You know the guy who was in Wedding Crashers who played the asshole. In God, he was great. He was yeah. great. He was really great in Wedding yeah. Crashers. But, he is um, extraordinary. You know what? It you could actually. I think Bradley's eyes are so striking that if they could, if they made like a Bradley Cooper brand contact lens. Yep. You anyone anyone on earth could put in those contact lenses and people would be like, "Bradley? <laughs> Are you Bradley?" Piercing the new fragrance by Bradley Cooper. He's uh he's and he seems like a he seems like a nice funny dude. I don't really the greatest. Know the greatest. And uh it's a it's a pretty incredible little little crew. So was there did you were you Excited to go work with all of your friends again on the second go around, or was any part of you like, oh fuck, we did this so well the first time, and now you know, like there are expectations, or like, what was your what was your mindset going into the second movie? You know, we talked about it a lot kind of when when the when the concept of doing a sequel first came up, um, which and was the, probably after the first weekend. Right? It was. It was, <laughs> it was very. It was very soon, but it didn't really. You know, the the it was brought up very soon after it it, it opened, but it didn't really become real for a couple months after that. 
But then when the conversation really got real, we all we all talked about it, and it was funny what I, I think what what we arrived at. And certainly in my head, it's hard to make a movie. It takes many many months of hard work, and you're in the trenches with people and. Uh, what the movie is at the end of the day is a two-hour experience for for an audience, and that's kind of hopefully it's wonderful. But when you're on the production side of it, making the movie, you really have to weigh how you what that experience is going to be like when you make these choices, because that's really how, as an actor, you're spending your life, you're burning the wick of your life, like doing working on these things, and and you can either kind of like if you have the option of working with wonderful people and that you love and are psyched to work with and, and you feel like you can make a good product with, that's almost more important at the end of the day than what the product might be. Mm -hmm. um, Some of that you have no control over. Yeah. So, so we kind of like, we were all on the same page that, that we just were psyched to work together again. And that sort of made the decision easy. And then, if, but you know, there was a there was also like, well, the script kind of obviously the script has to be there. Like we have to have. a. Were good, you involved in that in the script process at all? Um, there was a, there was a lot of kind of back and forth with the whole gang about sort of what what the ideas might be. But really, um, really, it was Todd and Scott Armstrong and Craig Mazin who who just sort of went off and created that beautiful babe. Yeah, Scott's going to be on the podcast in June. We're going to oh, have great. him on. Yeah. Yeah, Scott's Scott's a dear old friend. I actually met Todd Phillips through Scott. Oh, that's cool. At Scott's wedding, as a matter of fact, Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, wow. well, good friend. You went all the mm -hmm. way to South Carolina. Yeah. God damn it, South Carolina. <laughs> I got to fucking fly to South Carolina. I've known, and rent a tux. I've known Scott for a very long time just through Upright Citizens Brigade shenanigans in New York. That's what's so fun about, I mean, like... Uh, you know, I, I always, I always sometimes hear stories about like, oh, there was so much drama on this set, and there was this, which was pain in the ass. But I, but my favorite thing is to sort of watch our community of comic friends all start to kind of take their places and get more known and and show people what we already knew about them. You know, like that that part is always very exciting. Yeah, to me. that's cool. Yeah, you're right. It's fun. It it's fun to watch uh, your peers kind of bubble up and. You're right. It's like when we know someone's awesome and we're rooting for them. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, it's, almost, it's almost selfishly, it's almost validating. Like, I knew it. Yeah. I always knew that guy was really <laughs> funny and I'm not an idiot because now everyone else sees how funny he is. It's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool, fun thing to, uh, to experience. And, and I, I, you know, I mean, listen, I, I think Hangover 2 is going to do phenomenally well. Phenomenally I'm going to quote well. you on that. <laughs> I really I'm hold you to that. As I said to Tom Lennon on Saturday, there's not a dollar in this country that movie won't make. Yeah. <laughs> I really want I really want um um Todd uh Phillips to get to a point where he has like a huge movie coming out and it says from the guy who made uh hated the G.G. Allen documentary. <laughs> we'll go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, we should go see that movie. About that rock and roller dude that threw shit at people. <laughs> Uh, and I also want to let people. Oh, do you ever want to do stand up again? Like, is stand up a kind of thing that? Because obviously, if you wanted to tour now, you could fill very large rooms. Well, I, I I do it as a little sort of segment of the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour. Yeah, and I do little bits here and there. I'll jump on like a friend's show at at Largo now and then. But um, what I found, especially after I got on the Daily Show, is that to do 
to do stand up well and to be psyched about it and to have fun doing it, you have to be doing it regularly. Yeah. And to just pop in every six months and do a set is actually just blood curdlingly terrifying. <laughs> and, and it's just not as fun because it, you're not in the rhythm. You're not in your, you know, your sort of voice is like your, your comedic voice is a little more kind of uh, unprocessed at that point. But and then it puts yeah. you off for another six months. So you're like, it wasn't yeah. very fun. And then you miss it. Um, but, uh, but I do have fun every time I do it. And I do. So I guess there is this thing in the back of my head, like, I, I would like to do more of it. I, I miss it. I certainly miss those those times in New York City. There really is nothing else that can substitute for a good stand up set. Yep. No yep. matter no matter what you what you do, and I would imagine, you know, the more famous people get, the kind of scarier it is. Because if people have a certain expectation, you know, like, oh, that guy's always gonna be funny right. all the time. You know, when you're seeing a when you're seeing really good edited work together, <laughs> right, like you're right. like your you know, like your best takes <laughs> and you're you're always super funny and and but then it's like, oh no, this is a process. Some of these jokes may not work. This is just part of how stand up works, you guys. Hey audience, work with me here. <laughs> Come on, um, you guys. But there's a flip side to that too, which is that if 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 you're known then people are coming to see you, hopefully, because they like you already. Right. So, yeah. so there's like a the, sometimes audiences can be really warm and receptive yeah. and give you a little more leeway. <laughs> yes. Way. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard. The ske- my schedule has been pretty bananas just be- sure. between the off. Uh, like when, when I'm in production on the office, I, it's like I can't do anything. I yeah. can't really think about much outside work, be it stand up or whatever else. So. Um, I also want to tell people that if they have not seen Cedar Rapids, they should see Cedar Rapids. Hey, thanks. Um, I saw the screening um, that you had, and uh, it was great. I mean, such a fun movie. Thank you. And I love Stephen Root. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can still see that movie anywhere. <laughs> it's not. It's not like on iTunes or, or, uh, or yeah. Netflix you know what? It'll be. It'll be. It should be bubbling up in in those on those yeah those outlets. It's a really Same. fun movie that I think people people should go see. Very right? proud of that. Very extremely proud of it. John C. Riley delivers what I think is his most <laughs> hilarious performance of all time. He's so heartbreaking in that movie. <laughs> He's so sad. <laughs> uh, and Kurtwood Smith and I have a nude scene together. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Kurtwood Smith. Mm-hmm. Just give me my fucking phone call. That's from RoboCop. <laughs> I would just be quoting RoboCop to Kurtwood Smith the I, whole time. Believe me, I was. Leave. I was so psyched that the bitches <laughs> leave. Oh God. I I love I loved him in RoboCop. What a weird choice for a villain he was. Like aesthetically, what an insanely great and completely different kind of choice. Like this this kind of creepy looking sneering bald guy. Yeah. Clarence Boddicker. Clarence wow. Boddicker, you're Good coming one. with me. The best part, I remember watching that on VHS as a as a kid and rewinding on my VHS machine the 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 scene where the guy stumbles out of the toxic waste yes. and, and gets yeah, yeah. hit by, by the, the car. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's completely Slow. exposed. And it's an amazing if you slow it down and watch it like frame for frame, the the special effects makeup that they did on the it's guy crazy. coming out of the toxic waste thing is Glorious. That guy awesome. is, his name is Paul. He's, he lives near me, so I see him all. Which the time. guy? The guy that was the in the toxic yeah, waste? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. And I always say hi to him. He like his half his face is dripping yeah. off, and yeah. like it's such a gory so movie. Cool. Yeah, it really like just that movie just captured. This just satirized the sort of post, the kind of post Cold War nuclear 
age of just like what like where conceivably towns should like cities should have gone yeah in 10 or 15 years from well, from from the 80s Detroit's not far off. yeah that's why they need that statue <laughs> yeah this is the robocop statue yeah ocp is there a, is that real they're trying oh, yeah, to get there's a campaign to, to try to get a robocop statue put up in detroit oh yeah. I'm and for the, it. Yeah, I'm for it. I'm for it, too. But uh, Ed Helms, we've taken up enough of your time. But I do want to say um, thank you. You know, you're one of those guys that uh, if somehow, like, my head was up my ass and I hadn't seen some of the biggest thing our our culture has to offer, like The Office and The, and the Hangover series, that uh, I, I would just never guess, like, oh, Ed's a big, famous comedian. Like, you're just such a nice guy. Like, it's, al- it's always nice to hang out with you. So thank Fuck you. Fuck you, Chris. Yeah, say, I beg to do- <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna rape your face, Chris Hardwick. Uh, That's also, real, thank you. And That's also, nice. as a kids in the hall fan, I just thought I would bring out my Kevin McDonald impersonation. Very just good. To say, oh, thank you very much, Ed Helms. I've been working <laughs> on it for quite a long time. I don't know That's why. Really good. That's the only. Imp- <laughs> That's really the only impersonation I do. Uh, you don't do a, a Bruce McCullough. Oh well, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of that guy. All right, but it's not as good. It's not as good as my Kevin McDonald. Can I just reference my favorite? Kids in the Hall sketch of all time. Please, please. The guy, the uh, the 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 hunters, the suits, the the, the suit hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 yeah. paddle a canoe through the office. So <laughs> genius. And and they they and they trap businessmen in bear traps, <laughs> and then and then take their suits and sell them to a haberdasher. <laughs> but first, yeah. they club the <laughs> businessmen <laughs> rather than just taking their clothes off. They fucking club them. Oh my yeah. god. Uh, we have some fine selections for you today, <laughs> Armani. This one has, was brave, and like he chewed his leg off. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> that, that was that's very similar to the one where uh, they like the, steel toe boots. What where, where they where the kid finds a businessman, and like oh, he yeah. adopts oh, it yeah, like yeah, a yeah. pet. <laughs> He's like, no, he, we need to let him go, honey. He yeah. needs to live with... There's something wrong with Mr. Jenkins. <laughs> oh. God damn it, that yeah. show. And the theme song to that show so just good. was Shadowy so... Shadowy Man on a Shadowy Planet. Yeah, it just had such a great vibe. And the opening yeah. credits, like that nostalgic um, black and white um, stuff, yeah, that was a just genius show. I forget which episode of it, but it's a Mystery Science Theater episode where it's just like a uh, shot of like a car just driving along the street, like just the stuff going by. And then like I think Mike Nelson just is like, he's like, it's kids in the hall. And I just remember like, oh, they all They're know. crossing over. They They're crossing over. Mystery Science th- Theater, the Gizmonic Institute. Gizmonic Institute. Yep. Most brilliant name for an institute ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Beat 13. I gotta, those are all on Netflix, so the old uh, A lot MSTs. of them are. A lot of them are. But all of the kids in the halls are on Netflix. So if you are out yeah. there listening to this and you're a kid in high school or something, go watch all the kids in the halls. So what else? Is there, is there anything else that uh, that you have uh, coming out that you want to promote besides what's going to be the hugest movie in America? Or <laughs> Cedar <do> you... Rapids. <laughs> Cedar Rapids, Hangover 2. Well, I'm going to be hosting Saturday Night Live on, on May 14th. What? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, you haven't that. done that before, have no, you? No. Are you are you freaking out? Completely. Have they <laughs> talked? Do you know what you're going to do yet? Have you talked I have to them? Not stopped shitting my pants since I heard. I've noticed. That <laughs> would explain the mi- the microphone <laughs> fart sounds from earlier. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh my god, that's huge. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm beyond psyched. You coming in with ideas? Have you been starting to write any ideas? I have written the entire show already. Oh, good. <laughs> and, Guys, uh, here's what we're going to do. Here's Here what are your do. lines, everybody. <laughs> I emailed it to Lorne Michaels. and uh, So no. I see this as a 90-minute one-person show about exactly. a man, a young man's journey from adolescence <laughs> through... Uh, uh, 
what I would call superstardom. Right, right. So uh, I've been planning to do, be on the show for 20 years, and as such, I've written uh, an entire. I've written parts for everybody. Yeah, I'm exactly. actually church ladies I've, in there. I've called past cast members. They're all <laughs> who I like. They're all coming back. Can we yeah, get to returning? Denitra Vance. Denitra Vance. No, I'm just psyched to to. I, I mean, I can't believe it. I'm I, and I I already know and love so many of the people on the show now. Um, and uh, I'm just psyched to get in there and roll with it and have a great time. I'm so excited for you. That's going to be great. I will definitely watch. Do you uh, know the band? Yes, I know. Paul Simon. Whoa! Yeah. Are you going to play, play with him? Paul Simon? Are you going to play, play, uh, play banjo with Paul Simon? I don't know. Oh, my God. You have to. Oh. You have to. Oh, no, God. All right. I'll tell them that you said that. Yes. yes. Uh, Chris Hardwick says, uh, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. So hang over to and, uh, and you're hosting SNL and then the op- the office continues. Um, thank you so much for coming in. And then, and then uh, w- where can people get more information about, uh, about whiskey sour radio hour? Well, the whiskey sour radio hour doesn't have its own web presence or anything, but the LA bluegrass situation, uh, has a site, LA bluegrass situation.com. Cool. And we just wrapped up, uh, the second annual. So We'll be back in a year. If I didn't, uh, if I didn't piss off the higher ups, aka you, uh, by being out of town in Florida this past weekend, I would love to come back and sing some bluegrass mm, tunes. Then ice, Hardwick. <laughs> I don't know. Damn it. I don't know. Yeah. No. We'll. we'll of I'll course. send you some audition tapes. You're already invited back. I'll send. I'll send you some audition tapes. Uh, thank you so much, Ed Helms. It's good to see you. It's uh, been an abject pleasure, gentlemen. <laughs> 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 That's it. Jonah, come back. No, I'm PCO. Good Doppler effect. Thank you. What's that? I said enjoy your burrito. Thanks, guys. All right, so I was going to play Hard and Firm's Rodeo Head, which I am positive I've played on the podcast before. Instead, I was able to find the Punch Brothers quite easily, actually. Uh, They did a cover of Pack Like Sardines in a Crushed Tin Box on the deluxe version of the album Antifogmatic, which is available on the iTunes. So go there and buy it now because it is phenomenal. All right, so here's the Punch Brothers with their cover of Pack Like Sardines in a Crushed Tin Box. Here on the Nerdist Podcast. Buy their album. Get off. 
episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Easy, automatic, unlimited backup for your computer files. Try it free for 15 days at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.